whether tech or not, like one guy's pick at the end of an episode was, oh my gosh, you guys, have you heard of George R.R. R. Martin? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is some, a podcast from like 2005 where he's very excited because he's right. the first one who knows. How wonderfully prescient. How, what, you're, yeah. Hello and welcome to Model View Conversation. Uh, my name is Ben Gulhi. And I'm Brian Gates. And we're here today to talk about the importance of gaining experience in groups of people. No better way of learning how to do things than to learn in the company of people who know more than you. Yeah, for sure. Um, so what we're going to be talking about today is uh, is group work, um, individual work, and and kind of how they compare. Um, and in groups, we're talking about sort of voluntary vol- uh, volunteer groups that you might be part of, or perhaps a dev team if you work at a company, um, and kind of the pros and cons of those different situations. Um, so first, we're going to kind of give you a little bit of background on our, ourselves, how we have come into this, this uh, the you know, to be developers and, and how we've experienced both solitary and group work when we were juniors, which was for both of us a while ago. Um, so for, I'll start with myself. Um, I've mostly been uh, in, in many scenarios in what I call an island of one, meaning that I'm basically the only dev at the company that does my particular thing. I do iOS development, um, and I've been doing it since 2010. Um, and you know, back then, and even somewhat now, uh, that team tends to be smaller, sometimes even depending on the size of the company, yeah. only one person. They didn't um, call it WeOS. No, that's right. Uh, so uh, I really spent a lot of time pretty much by myself using you know my own knowledge and then sort of extending that into Stack Overflow and Google searches and tutorials and things like that to, to figure out what I needed to do and how I needed to do it. Um, I did have the opportunity to talk to other devs um, on other teams and you know bounce ideas off of them. Even if you if you don't have access to a group of people who know exactly your thing, if they're developers, they can at least, um, if nothing else, be your rubber duck, which would be some, somebody that just sort of listens and and uh, you know helps you through things by really just listening, by not really typically contributing a lot. The act of actually speaking the problem out loud tends to clarify things for yourself, and you can then. Um, you know, you can typically you're like, ah, oh, I got it now. I don't, I don't, I actually don't need your help. I just needed to really verbalize that. Um, so even if you don't have a scenario where you can go talk to maybe another iOS developer, um, you can, you know, talk in more general terms, do like whiteboarding type things, that kind of thing to kind of clarify at least the problem for you. Um, so my experience has really been pretty solitary as far as how I, we, I could improve that. Um, certainly, if I had the benefit of having, you know, as any other iOS dev, in particular, a senior iOS dev at the time, um, you know, to help mentor me a little bit, that would have been helpful. I probably made a lot of, a lot of mistakes and did a lot of things kind of the wrong way, um, and and those things could potentially have been avoided if um, I had the benefit of having a senior, you know, around to to kind of like, mm, yeah, don't do it that way. I I did it that way, you know, wrong, and and I've since solved that problem. And here, do it this other way; it's better. Um, and, I, and I think there are a couple of related benefits there. I had the same experience as you of being a solo developer for several years. And besides kind of getting stuck at different places where someone who knew more or even just someone else could have looked at my code and said, here's your problem, here's the solution, there would also be periods where I would just not know whether I was doing things right or not and feeling like I'm probably wrong because I'm just right. this guy in a room all by myself. And if there was somebody else around, maybe just hearing once in a while, yeah, yeah, that looks fine. That, I think, would have been tremendously valuable. Right. It's much easier when you're by yourself to doubt yourself, right? To, mm-hmm. to assume, oh, this must be terrible. This must, this must not be the right way to do things. I mean, if you don't have the validation of someone else, especially someone who has experience at the thing you're trying to do, saying, no, no, this is fine. You're, you're doing just fine. We, something that we experienced as teachers a lot was a lot of, a lot of this, you know, here's my homework. Let, let me show you what I'm working on. But this must be terrible. And, and you look at it and you're like, no, this is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I also think our students uh, benefited from watching us code in front of them because once yes. in a while, more often than probably we would have liked, we would do something wrong and something uh either something conceptually wrong or we would just make a typo that we were blind to and they got to see, hey, these guys who know a lot and have been doing it for several years sometimes have problems. 
Right. The, the the process of building software is very messy, right? Yeah. It's it's very you you look at a um you know a piece of software in progress and it's kind of a, a hot mess. It has all kinds of things that are, you know, you're not going to use and maybe even a few things that you've commented out you're like mm, I'm I'm probably going to get rid of this, but I'm going to hang on to this for for just a minute. Um and and it's potentially kind of hard to navigate and hard to understand. Yeah. And that's fine. That's just the process of building software as long as you end up in a good place at the end. And it's a very different experience seeing someone go through that versus if you're learning from the polished video tutorials right. and written out tutorials where you only get to see the end result and you don't get to see all of the typos and the commented out code and the paths that they decided not to go down. I think it's kind of the difference between if you were teaching yourself piano and you were alone in a room with a keyboard and maybe you had some uh, some recordings of somebody famous playing Beethoven and Mozart and you thought that's what a pianist is supposed to be and then here's me trying to string three notes together in a row without screwing up you, right. you, you just feel worthless versus if you were maybe going to a piano teacher and you could always see other people even if they were better you than you maybe a lot better than you occasionally you'd hear them mess up but right. you'd also get to see them kind of grow over time and feel like oh well I'm I'm probably growing over time too I'm getting closer to the the concert level that I want and don't right. feel like those are the only two options, either you who knows nothing or masters who are infallible. Right. Yeah. I think video tutorials and, and written tutorials, things like that for coding are a lot like sort of the reality TV of learning, right? Yeah. You're only, <laughs> you're only going to see the gems. You're only going right. to see the best parts. It's the, it's the most polished best life, right. Of, of that particular project. And what you don't see is all of the hours that, that, you know, instructor spent actually building that software to to get to the point where they could then have a polished product to then go in reverse and and kind of reverse engineer and turn into a step by step process to build something. Yeah, because it would be it would be terror it would be hugely reassuring but horribly dull in order to to yes. have the full process recorded. Yes, just like hacking on TV is not like real hacking. No. Software development is a lot more boring than than uh, than the polished tutorials that you see. You know that only take ten minutes, and boom, there's a suddenly there's an app in front of you. Well, it, it's exciting, but it's kind of internally exciting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, sh I shouldn't say boring. It's very exciting. It's just perhaps to watch. It's not that exciting. Yes, I agree completely with that. Uh, so how was how was your experience? Um, with did you have any experience at, at group work as a more junior person or did was it just like me where I, I had very few opportunities to kind of work with other either other seniors or even you know even better in some cases other juniors well very early on i uh, got introduced to modern web development while i was in grad school and there was another guy in the program who had been in part of that first wave of dot-com millionaires i guess right who had who had taught himself PHP and then did something that did well and was able to go to grad school in the sciences for fun. And when PHP got introduced and it was like a three-week thing in the grad school course, um, he and I worked on some stuff together and he was encouraging of me like, oh, you you pretty well know what you're doing with this stuff. Um, and so I think that initial kind of validation from somebody who knew more than me in that area was valuable but I didn't get a lot of uh, skill out of it because there just wasn't time for it. And then after that, most of my software development work was greenfield projects or rescue projects where I would come in on my own after another agency had done something that the business owners didn't like. And for several years, I was kind of on my own stumbling to figure things out. Uh, I got on a couple development teams that were very isolated. It was remote work and everybody had their own tasks and there wasn't really much collaboration at all right and remote work in, in and of itself is pretty isolating it, is, I buy it, its it can be isolating uh, yeah but their developments recently i think have improved that but at the time it was if you wanted con uh, communication it was only email or a telephone call which were you know not the greatest uh, so i didn't get useful um experience working with other developers and seeing other really good developers work until I got to the iron yard and I got to see other instructors building things and and talk about how they approached problems 
And that really gave me the validation that, okay, yeah, I, I do know what I'm doing because I'm thinking about these things the same way as a lot of these people. And also, oh, look, they know many things that I don't know and I can learn from them and, and get better. Yeah, it's funny how it's in so many areas of, of our lives that uh, simply acknowledging that other people have the same thoughts and ideas and think about things in similar ways and stuff like that is can be really, really helpful to um, give you a boost of confidence in whatever it is that you're talking about, whether it be, you know, coding or whatever, um, playing the piano, right? Um, so it's it's very important to, if if nothing else, even if you're not necessarily getting mentorship from someone, even if you're just spending some time with another person who's trying to solve the same kinds of problems and you get to see their problem-solving process, that can be helpful because, like you said, it can give you both some validation that you are that you are doing things in sort of the correct way because other people are doing it the same way. But also, if they're doing things that are different from you, it gives you that learning opportunity to go, oh, I didn't think of solving the problem that way. I should maybe approach a future problem in this other style and see if it might be an, you know, an improved process to the way that I was doing it. And also to be able to suggest to other people, once they've kind of established themselves in your mind as someone who really knows what they're doing, to be able to say, hey, we're doing things differently. Have you considered my approach? Right. And maybe contribute to them. And, uh, and that can feel pretty good. So if we're, we're kind of encroaching on the next topic, which is um, what are the characteristics of a dev team that would be ideal for a junior? So we're thinking about not just the dev team in general, but, but in particular, if the dev team includes juniors, mm-hmm. what is the environment that really would produce the best possible right, outcome right, right. for said juniors? And, and obviously, the needs of a senior on a team versus the needs of a junior on a team are going to be different. Um, and in order to run, you know, a well-run dev team that includes both, you want to consider both. So um, I think we have some experience at, at trying to understand maybe the unique needs um, and mm-hmm. concerns of of juniors in particular. So what would you say are your maybe couple ideal characteristics? Well, the way we have that phrase makes me think of what uh, the Airbnb founders talked about when they were designing their initial site. They wanted to imagine what a 12-star experience would be like. You know, five is the best you can actually give as a rating, but they wanted to say if you came to the city and like the most famous resident of the city was there waiting for you at the airport Mm -hmm. and then there was a parade down Main Street with elephants and stuff. (laughs) The advantage of doing that is you can then scale it back and to like a reasonable expectation for a five, but five is still pretty good. And the reason that came to mind is that the ideal environment for a junior is going to involve a lot more mentorship and, and teaching opportunities and supervision than is realistic in a work environment right. because other people have to get their own stuff done too. But I think it can be valuable to imagine what literally the ideal environment would be like and then think about how to scale that back to what's probably the, the best that you can you can look for. Right, because it's not it's not just about getting letting people get their work done, but that work is going to generate money for the company. So right. it needs to be the, the, the things that are being done on the team need to should be you know, considered, yes. Yeah, and even even if maybe you know some of these junior related concerns are indirectly helping the team, as long as those things are all being done in a way to help get the team to move forward um, and be productive, so that then products can be produced and they can be sold and the company can make money, that's fine. I think um, something that a lot of companies for some reason just ignore or don't consider is that by complete potentially completely ignoring your juniors, um, you are. You know, because like we don't have time for that. Where we have we have to make money, we have to be productive. Yeah. We don't have time. Well, if you have a whole bunch of people on the team that don't know what they're doing and they're not being productive, that is hurting your bottom line. So it actually is in your best interest to you know, like you said, the ideal would be to have this wonderful scenario where uh, you know men- mentors are are provided and they're giving this one on one help to juniors and stuff, which is which would be great. Probably not doable all the time. Um, but some of that would be certainly very helpful because you're going to pull that person forward in their knowledge and skill set, which makes them therefore more valuable to you as right. an employee. That's the dream. So to talk about what would be the the ideal, I think start from the beginning with the onboarding process, or a lot of industries I think would call it orientation, getting people uh, a tour of all of the tools and all the processes that the dev team uses. Here's the 
the version control system that we use. Here is the, the issue tracker or the ticketing system that we use to figure out what work needs to be done and in what order and what priority and who's working on what when. Um, here's how we deploy the site or uh, how we build the application so that you know how you can take your code and turn it into something you can look at and play with. And here's what the app does and how it functions and how it hooks into other systems because those are things that I think can be more efficiently explained than they can be discovered. Right, for sure. Yeah, because everybody does that differently, right? There's a different flavor of each of those different things and every company chooses, makes different choices. And so if you don't know what they are, then it's not, like you said, not very discoverable on your own. I think one thing I would add to that is um, here's how we organize our humans. So mm -hmm. meaning from a team point of view, how, yes, we have a ticket system that tracks tickets through a process, but what is the sort of meta process around that, right? How do features get considered? How do they get added? How do they get estimated? Um, what environment do we work in when we are working on on the actual tickets on implementing the features? How long is that? Is it is it a sprint? Is it I'm basically talking about you know the the methodology of how we do that? Is it is it Scrum? Is it another kind of Agile? Is it waterfall? Heaven forbid? Is it um is what is the organizing principle around which we build our software? Because that is also typically not very discoverable on your own. It's like you said, much more easily explained. And if all this sounds overwhelming to you as a junior, we agree. And that's why it's so important to have an organization that has thought through all of these issues and, uh, and documented them in some form so that for the benefit of new people, uh, everything can be explained and laid out in a much more digestible way than if you were thrown into the midst of all of it and you had to piece things together. Right. And these are all things that you can be looking for both during your, you know, the interviewing and discovery process when you're trying yeah. to figure out whether you want to work there. Um, and then also, uh, a way to sort of confirm that those things are true by, right. by getting into the organization and actually working there and, and seeing, okay, well, they told me that they had these things in the interview, but do they really, are they really going to follow through on that stuff when I'm actually an employee? Um, and, uh, you know, if they say they have these things and they don't, that is definitely a red flag to be watching out for. But um, just because they don't have something doesn't mean that you can't, for example, suggest that they make something like that. Absolutely. I mean, maybe, maybe they've never hired a, a person at your skill level before. Or um, they may not have hired a junior in a while and some of their right. information is out of date. Right. They might have some resources, but you look at them like, oh, boy, this is... This mentions a, a different system than, you know, they upgraded or they changed or something, and this this is now out of date. So um, being a, a force for change within the organization is is something that you can definitely do, even as a junior and even as a new employee. Um, you want to be respectful and professional about it, but you can certainly suggest things like, it would be great if we could have a small guide like this. Um, maybe if you've already gone through that process, maybe that process is more manual, you could even suggest to create something like that. It would show... Mm -hmm all kinds of, you know, initiative and, and um, stuff like that to, to yeah. them. And that's a, that's a good thing professionally. Um, I realize that it's not necessarily your job, but it certainly would be helpful to you to help solidify those concepts. And then it would be helpful to any person that comes after you, um, you know, because then that will be there for them to use. Right. So that, there's the first win is a good documented uh, onboarding process, which is also something that you can contribute to while you're going through the onboarding process or while you're um, bemoaning the lack of an onboarding process. Right. But that's a one-time thing. And then after that is the day-to-day -day work of just writing software. And I think the most important thing there for juniors is that there's uh, work available at an appropriate level of difficulty. Yeah, I think that's that's probably more important than anything, right? Is yeah. having stuff that you feel like you can, that might be challenging, but that is still doable. Because there is, there, I, I've seen, there, there tends to be kind of, it kind of tends to go two ways. There's either senior level work that is just inappropriate to give to a junior, mm -hmm. um, because they're going to struggle like crazy to get it done. And then that leads to its own set of problems. I mean, they're not going to feel confident. They're, yeah, they're going to be setting people up for failure. Exactly. You're just, you're not, they're not going to, you're not giving them any way to win. And so they're just going to feel like, well, I, I can't win now and maybe they'll burn out and they'll leave or whatever. Or you baby them, right? You feel like, Oh, you're a junior. You don't know anything. I'm going to give mm -hmm. you this boring, 
simple work that that really is not befitting of the skills that you want to practice. They're giving right. you stuff that's really, really low level. We've um, noticed that on all these pages, we spelled gray with an E and we want it gray with an A. So why don't you go through and... Right. And like technically you're writing HTML, but I mean, <laughs> but really it's, it's just, it's just basic, you know, basic, basic office work. Um, so you, you really do want to ideally be sort of in that middle ground where it's real coding, it's real work, it's real software development, but it's, a, it's something, and it's something that maybe even is a little challenging, something maybe you've not seen before. You have to read some documentation, um, and maybe ask lots of questions, but you can make steady even sometimes small but steady ground right you can you can gain ground on it as you go right. um something that that we did as teachers was it, i found it really important in the very beginning when i'm when i'm first introducing ios development as a thing is i didn't i didn't start with the history of soft, of computer science and the history of languages and and all that i actually on the very first day their very first homework was open xcode uh Grab this starter product that I created for you. Go in, start modifying the code. Go into the storyboard, make changes there. They are literally doing iOS development on the very first day of class, um, and that's because it was it was. I'm not going to say easy, but it was it was set up in a way where I knew they could they could win. I set them up for an early easy win, and what that does is it gives you a lot of confidence. So um, ideally, you want the same scenario if you're mentoring. Uh, juniors in your, you know, in a group and in, in, on the dev team, you want to give them something that they can really sink their teeth into, and it might be challenging, but at, at eventually they will get it, and they will mm-hmm. get that win, and that will propel them forward into, uh, you know, tackling other challenges. And it's worth bearing in mind while you're going through those initial few tickets that ought to be um, fairly straightforward that you're not just coding; you're also dealing with all of the what Ben called meadow processes around the onboarding experience and dealing with the ticketing system and the uh, the build process and all the other things that are around writing code but are not actually writing code. So there's going to be a lot more going on than the relatively, hopefully, straightforward tasks that you're assigned. Right. So estimating features, I mean, all those things, all should be things that juniors are involved in. And they're not going to be very good at it. That's the other thing that you need. If, if, we're, if we're now speaking to the people that are maybe running the team, there's going to be failure. There's going to be parts where they, they don't estimate well or whatever. I mean, everybody, all software developers are bad at estimation, but juniors are particularly bad at it because they just don't have any, you know, they haven't developed a gut about these things because they don't have enough experience to tell them, you know, what their gut should be feeling with any given thing. Um, so they're going to make mistakes and they're going to fail. And that's that's fine. That's part of the process. And you have to be willing, part of what you've agreed to as a as a, as a, manager or as a company or whatever, um, by bringing this junior on is you've agreed to the fact that you are going to be part of their learning process. And that's totally normal and accepted and fine. And you've built that into your model so that you can, you can roll with those, with those changes and you can, you can still be productive and still make, um, you know, a good product in the end. Something else that I think would be ideal, but I'm not sure at what level or or what amount is pair programming which is the process i don't know if we've talked about on the podcast before but i don't think so the idea that two developers will share one computer and usually it's one person typing and executing basically what the other person has in mind and that way you get a lot of information sharing because the person who's typing maybe has a lot of built-in shortcuts or knows ways of writing certain functions or, or things that the other person doesn't know. And the person executing can have ideas about um, architecture and stuff maybe the first person doesn't know. And also there can be some conversation back and forth. And if you uh, if one person disagrees with the other person's ideas, then there can be some conversation around that. And why are you choosing to do it this way? And have you thought about these other alternatives? And aren't we going to run into this problem? Um, I know there are some organizations that at least claim that all of their programming is pair programming. Um, I have not experienced that, and I don't know if I could advocate doing it all the time, but I think at least some would be very beneficial for a junior. What do you think, Ben? And do you mean, when you say pair programming, do you mean that you specifically pair a junior with a senior, or are we talking about two juniors together? I think, I tend to think... 
little diversity in the skill level would be the best. I hadn't considered two juniors together. I guess that would have benefits. We saw those kind of benefits at the Iron Yard, come to think of right. it. Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely think it has its place and it's it's very useful because like we were saying before, um, just being in a dev group on a dev team right, gives you the opportunity to, to watch other people solve problems um, and they might be solving them in ways that you haven't thought of before. And so that helps in, uh, you know, it helps to enhance your process and make it better because you can fold in, maybe you're not going to just completely abandon what you're doing and do what they're doing, but you might say, oh, this way of doing this one thing is something that is useful to me. So I'm going to incorporate that into my process and you've improved your process, Mm -hmm. you know, by, by being a part of it. So I think those benefits that you get kind of more generally when you're on a dev team um, are enhanced when that, when you're doing that specifically with another person in front of one computer where you are both trying to solve the same problem and so therefore both of your processes are kind of in action and you get to watch yours and you get to watch theirs um, much more kind of at a, at a, at a more granular level um, and you can do the same thing right you can see oh they they did because part of paired programming is if you're the one let's say driving the computer then you're the one typing and you're probably the one that is kind of guiding the process and the other person is jumping in and saying, oh, you made a mistake here or, or have you thought about this or trying to be kind of a, a helper and, and keep you, um, keep your productivity up. And, and so they're, they're not typing, they're just talking, um, but they, they are enhancing your process. And then of course, at some point you're going to flip and do the opposite where you're going to be enhancing their process. Um, so it gives you that opportunity to see, to both kind of have them see your process and see, then they can jump in and see where maybe you might be able to improve it a little bit. And then the same thing is true in reverse. When you're mm-hmm. helping them, you have the ability to enhance their process. So whether that's a junior and a senior, or maybe a junior and a mid or two juniors, um, different perspectives are going to be brought in with each of those different scenarios and you'll get different benefits from each mm-hmm. one. And if you have the experience where maybe you as a junior are driving the machine and typing and you're working with a senior on a senior level problem, you can get the experience of being told, here's what you want to type in order to solve this complicated thing. And if you end up typing out something that's a more abstract, uh, unfamiliar sort of structure than you're used to, you can say, wait a minute, what are my fingers doing right now? What... What does all this mean that I'm putting on the screen? And right. you can learn directly from the source as it's happening. Yeah, that that probably would that be the the quickest way probably to uh, you know to enhance your skills to essentially it's like you've got a power up right like you're a junior level mm-hmm. person but you've got this senior level power up that is helping you you know make your fingers move faster and make them more you know make your your solution more elegant um, maybe than you could do at that point because you just yeah. don't have had that much experience yet. Um, so yeah, that's, that there's lots of, um, improvements there as well. Assuming that you're not pair programming all the time, I think the next important thing for a a junior to be successful is to have, um, resources available when you get stuck and to not be stuck for too long. So to have a culture around the idea that, um, as you're working, if you hit a point where you just don't know what to do next, you've probably tried several things and none of them have worked out the way you wanted that there's somewhere, someone you can turn to to get help. Right. And it shouldn't, in that you should have something available to you fairly quickly so that you don't spend a whole bunch of hours or days uh, spinning your wheels trying to solve this problem and not making any headway. Because something that can definitely lead to burnout is if you uh, get stuck on a problem, you don't know how to fix it, and you make progress towards trying to solve it, but you don't really get anywhere, right? You do exact overflow searches, you do get, you do Google searches. Um, you look at the documentation and you just don't feel like you're making any progress on solving the problem. It just, it starts to feel more and more like an unsolvable problem. Like I'm never going to be able to solve this. This is just, this is too difficult. Um, and if you don't have a a release valve on that, or someone can, can step in and help you, that's, that's an issue and getting, you know, you're only going to want to spin your wheels for so long before you decide, all right, well, I'm I'm done with this problem. I can't solve it. I'm not making any progress. I've put a bunch of effort into it, and it's not happening, so I'm just going to give up, which we clearly don't want. You know, we don't want that as, as from from the perspective of if we're leading you on the team, um, your company doesn't want that. So 
you really need to have a way to to release that pressure. Um, and the best way would be hopefully you have a, ment- a senior or a group of seniors on your team um, that can jump in and help you when they need to. Um, and uh, something to keep in mind as a junior is don't wait too long, right? That this The problem I just described can sometimes be self-inflicted, meaning that there are people available that can help you and are ready and willing to help you, but they are not going to know that unless you go tell them that you're having a problem. So don't feel bad or ashamed about going and asking for help um, in general. And, and in particular, if you've worked on something for a while and you've gotten stuck, something that I always told my students was, Work on, I don't want you to just come to me with every single problem that you have as soon as you encounter it because that doesn't really – it's not going to improve your process very much if I'm just constantly answering every single question you have before you've done any of your own research. But if you make a good faith effort to try and solve the problem, and I typically told them in the scenario that we were in, 15, 20 minutes worth of trying to solve it yourself is probably enough. And then come to me. So I would probably extend that a little bit if you're if you've already gone through training like that and you are now employed as you know a developer. I'd probably extend that a little bit further. Um, but don't wait too long. Don't don't wait so long that you like I said you become burned out on the problem. And because then if you do go ask for help, you're probably going to be cranky about it, and you're gonna your attitude will be kind of defeated. And that is it's more difficult to help someone in that. Um, headspace than if they are, hey, I found this problem and I I did X, Y, and Z to try and solve it, and I'm not really making very much progress. Can you can you give me a nudge, right? Can you give me a way to move forward? Um, that's a that's a much better headspace to be in when you go to your mentor for help than oh, I spent two days trying to solve this problem and I got nowhere and it's so frustrating and I just want to give up, right? That's that that person is just more difficult to help. So so don't do that to yourself and don't do that to your mentors. And also expect a nudge. And yes. don't expect a, a treatise necessary or a, <laughs> yes. a a very long thorough explanation of someone helping you out, but more right. have you tried to search for the following keyword? Right. Yeah, I was I definitely was a big fan of the Socratic method when I was helping people um, is, you know, basically answering a question with another question. I can't do this. How do I, how do I solve this problem? I was like, well, what, the first thing I would say, is, what have you tried? What have you already tried to do to solve this problem and, and have them explain that to me? Um, and then, like you said, typically ask them, have you tried searching for this? Or have you looked at this particular class in the documentation? Or have you done, you know, whatever? And and then just kind of stop talking and, and let them think about that for a second and go, oh, no, I haven't looked there. Let me go look at that and I will come back if I have further questions, because what you don't want to do is you don't want to just give the answer. That's, that is the least helpful for a junior, right? You want to be able usually. to, usually, I mean, sometimes if they're just literally totally stuck and all they need is this one piece and it'll solve the problem, then fine. But, but in general, you want them to go through that process of, of discovery of the solution themselves, because that skill will help them in the future problems. And also there's this very obvious sort of uh, boost, right? This person, this morale boost when you when you get it, when you feel like you've gotten the, the the solution, and that you and you feel like you've been helped, but you haven't been. Here's just here's the answer. Go away, right? You've you've actually come to the solution yourself. So, what do we? How would we maybe characterize the overall pros and cons of um, working in perhaps a group? Um, maybe that's a volunteer group that you're part of. Maybe you go to a meetup or something and they do, um, you know, they do events where they kind of maybe have hackathons or something like that, where you're working together with other people, but you're not, it's just sort of volunteer, you know, open source style stuff. There's, there's that kind of group work, which is very beneficial in its own right. And then there's the kind of the more specific goals of trying to accomplish something to build a product on a dev team for which you're being paid and a more sort of traditional, um, experience. Maybe what are maybe we could talk about kind of the pros and cons of each of those two scenarios. Sure, I'll take the easy one first, which is the the dev team. By virtue of the fact that that's your employer, that's a, a place where you're going to be able to work pretty much every work day, and because you're getting that much exposure to a problem, you're going to get that kind of expertise that comes from the repeated exposure, versus the volunteer groups and the meetups and the the uh, Code for Americas and those kind of things tend to be more ad hoc and meet less frequently and therefore don't progress as fast. You get maybe a more a wider breadth of of different kinds of experience potentially in the in the group 
um, dynamic rather than the dev team because on the dev team you are trying to solve a problem to you know to to make a product that you're going to sell and that typically tends to be relatively narrow um, in scope um, and in maybe like genre of things right I've worked on different things over my career but it but the reason why I now have kind of a wider breadth of experience is because I haven't worked at the same company for 20 years I've worked at different companies who have been solving different problems and that gives you kind of a wider field of experience um, and also if you want the wide field of experience while doing paid work there is the agency model where typically you get to interact with different clients with different needs and have different technologies to build solutions for them right and there are pros pros and cons to being a junior in that scenario um, agencies typically because they're small and because they're kind of scrappy they don't have a lot of um, time because in this case, time is literally money, you know, billable hours. They don't necessarily have a lot of time to provide a lot of mentorship to juniors. Um, but they're, Or at least they think they don't. Or at least they think they don't. Um, but but uh, they, they do have, like, like Brian was just saying, they do have that, that advantage of probably every couple of months, every six months, you're likely going to be transitioning off of one thing on something else. And that new thing could be completely different. I mean, it's probably still a React thing or an iOS thing, right? It's still going to be in your area of expertise, but the subject matter is going to be probably very different because it's a different client with a different product. Um, so you do get that ability to kind of very broadly work on lots of different things over your kind of over your time at that company. I guess another advantage of a group as opposed to a dev team is because they're not paying you, it is easier to walk away. If you just decide there's something about this dynamic that isn't working out for me, I'm not getting the kind of support that I want, I'm, I just have a bad interaction with somebody that I can't seem to get away from, well, you can get away from it by leaving the group, which you can also get away from that kind of thing by leaving a dev team, but that feels harder a lot of the time. But there goes your salary and your insurance and your... Right, right. <laughs> right? It's, the consequences are certainly higher in that case. So um, let's imagine that you are on a dev team that is maybe not working out. Maybe you got hired as a junior. Um, and so we're going to be speaking about that. This is probably advice that would be applicable to anyone, but in particular, we're kind of going to frame it around, um, you know, you are a junior and maybe the team is a varied collection of experience. Um, and maybe that team is just not really working out for you. You don't feel like you're getting the mentorship opportunities that you maybe were even promised. Um, and you don't feel like you're making a lot of progress in skill acquisition and, and getting better at doing your job, which as a junior, I would say the most important thing you can, you can ever do for yourself when you're a brand new developer and you're at your first, second, third, whatever job, and you're just getting started is you want to, soak up as much experience and and um, practice as you possibly can. Yes. Clearly, you want to get paid. I mean, I would never advise anyone to work to work for free in the sense of I'm, I'm doing work for someone and I'm not being paid. Um, and that work is valuable. That's different from volunteer work. But if we're talking about kind of for-profit style work, always get paid for it. Um, Basically, if you're, you know, if it's worth doing and if and if your skills are in demand, then you should be paid for that work. That's that's just seems fair to me. But um, aside from that, assuming that they assuming that they are actually paying, if they're not paying you right and they're supposed to be, then that's his own problem. And you should, you should <laughs> contact but, the authorities. <laughs> exactly. But if you are being if the basics are being covered, if you're if you're being paid, if the benefits that they promised you are, are being provided to you, that kind of thing, the bare minimum of of what you need, then uh, then that's fine. What we're talking about here is that the experience itself is just not very good. They're not, they're, they're not, they don't appreciate your contributions um, or they potentially are even not even, it's not even the case that they don't appreciate it. They're actively sort of berating you for, for things that are out of your control, stuff like, you know, expectations where they think that you should be maybe further along or that you should have a greater level of skill than what is actually written on your resume, right? They, they think that you should be a, a five, 10, in, you know, year industry um, senior level person, right? As opposed to maybe the fresh out of boot camp junior level person that you actually are, right? It's unmet expectations. Um, so anything like that, where where you just feel like, yes, they're they're putting money in my in my bank account, right? They're paying me. The basics are being covered, but from an experience point of view, it is it is just suboptimal for sure, um, and potentially even poor. So how do you how do you either improve that situation or how do you get out of that situation? I mean, the obvious easy thing is you could just quit, but clearly that's, it's more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the first thing to do is to 
make peace with the idea that maybe leaving the company is the right decision. Because once you have gone through that sort of emotional process, I think you'll be in a better position to try to remedy things without taking that step. Because you can go into discussions with your tech lead or with maybe a manager or somebody in HR or whoever is the best person for a particular scenario. And you won't have to feel like I need to concede a lot of ground because I have to keep my job. If you've already convinced yourself that I could leave, that will be tough, but it is an option. Then as you go into these other scenarios, then I think you're coming from a much stronger position and you'll be able to, to firmly establish in your own mind, what are the things that I need to have happen for this to work? And what are the things that I'd be willing to bargain away? Best uh, outcome, I think, is that in your talk, you do hold on to all the stuff that you need and maybe some more stuff that were the nice to haves. And then the bad dev team becomes a better dev team for you. Right. A lot of times, I think companies and teams don't always realize what might be bothering people. So sure. if, you, if you never actually enumerate any of your concerns, you know, in real words to another person, mm -hmm. then they may or might not understand um, that there is an issue. So something that you definitely want to do is, again, all of this advice is always couched around you want to be professional and you want to be nice about it. But um, as long as you are being professional about it, I think it's perfectly valid, even as a brand new junior, even if you've only been on the job a month. Mm -hmm. I think it's perfectly valid to go, as long as you're doing it with you know, with thoughtfulness and with professionalism to go to whoever your, your lead or the, whoever the sort of the person is that's the boss of the team or maybe the company or whatever. Um, and, and respectfully address, Hey, there's some stuff around my job that I think maybe could be improved. And something you always want to do is you never want to simply complain. You never want to make it look like this sucks and I hate this and this, and for all these reasons, this is bad, right? You can say the same thing, but you can do it in a way that is more, not positive, but but more um, like you are bringing them a solution than you are bringing them a problem. And also that you're bringing them a solution for their problem, that right. here are things that can make me more valuable yes. and I'm not delivering as much value because I don't get to pair or I don't, uh, I haven't been onboarded in these kind of subjects or whatever the, the problem is, uh, if, if it's not, here are things that I want you to do for me, but here are things that I want uh, help in contributing, yeah. that's going to, I think, be better received. Yeah, it makes all the difference when you can, when, when you are, I mean, the sort of the cliche of like, be, be the, be part of the solution, not the problem, right? That's exactly how you want to you want to approach it. You're still telling them this is a problem and that it needs to be solved, and that I can't solve it myself. Those facts are not in dispute, but you're presenting it in a way where you are bringing to their attention that the problem exists and that you need their help to do it. And here is a way that we could maybe get there using me as part of the solution um and and the outcome of all of that work would be that i like you said i become more valuable to you i the employee become more valuable to you and to the company um and and those are the terms that you want to speak in because that gives them this very concrete um this the what is what is it in for them basically is that there's this concrete the company will make more money or will be more productive mm -hmm. or will have a better mm -hmm. product because of the work that we're about, that I'm proposing that we do. Um, and then the the advantage to you is that is that hopefully you'll be a little happier. Um, you'll be getting more of what you want and uh, you might be getting more of that experience that you think that you're going to need both for your current situation and, and your career, you know, in the future. Um, something that I kind of came to as a conclusion a long time ago is that there's no better person and there really is no one else in the world that is going to steer my career than me, right? Because yeah. I clearly have the most, <laughs> the, the stakes are highest when, as, as it regards my career, mm -hmm. the stakes are highest for me. So um, regardless of, of how you feel about the company you're working at or the companies you have worked at in the past, and no matter how nice or mean they might be, 
It doesn't really matter. In the end, the only person that's going to actually work, look out for your career and steer your career is you. So if you're in a scenario like this, right, where you're on a dev team, it's not very good. You want to, you maybe want to leave. You have various levers you can pull on to to make that better. And if and the worst thing that you can do is nothing, right? The worst thing yes. you can do is not even consider the levers, not try and pull on them, nothing. Because what's going to happen? The status quo. You're just going to continue to be underappreciated on a bad dev team, and it won't improve. So what you want to do is you want to you want to take active steps to try and make that better. And one of them is leaving the company. Several other ones are trying to work within the company to make them realize that there are issues if they don't, um, and then you know see what you can do to help contribute to make them better. And while the the best scenario is that you can stay where you are and improve where you are, sometimes that's not possible and the better decision is to leave. And I think um, the best thing for you to do in that situation is to have unemployment insurance. And what I mean by that is not the literal product that you buy that costs a few dollars a month and pays you money when you lose your job. It's taking steps uh, before you get to that point that will help you find the next thing. And what that involves is making yourself known, letting people know that you are a developer in a bunch of different ways, whatever ways feel comfortable for you. You can be on a podcast, you can have a blog, you can go to meetups, you can demo your work on CodePen if you're a front end person. You can do a lot of things, contribute to open source stuff so that you become known to other developers as somebody who writes software and somebody who can communicate about it and someone who people can get along with so that they have you in mind when they become aware of jobs in your specialty and when they get asked as developers get asked from time to time hey do you know somebody who's looking they can suggest you or do you know somebody who's who's pretty good or at this level of skill in these things they can say oh yeah i Ben's been doing iOS for a long time or, oh yeah, I know this person who just got out of a boot camp, and, uh, and here's the URL for her blog. Go take a look. Yeah. I mean, throw up a, uh, a short tutorial on something that you learned recently uh, around a, a skill that, that you've been working on, um, on your blog or put it, or, you know, talk about code on Twitter or, um, that you'd be surprised, I think sometimes by how, potentially little you need to do to make it clear that you are an authority on something. And when we say authority, we don't necessarily mean that you're the the one worldwide expert on said topic. Yeah. That is that is not you don't need that. Mm -hmm. Um and you don't uh you don't need to feel like, well if I don't know every single little in and out of this thing, then there's no point in me yeah. trying to express myself um, you know, as an authority on that thing because people won't believe me. It's it, Trust me, you you yeah. can you can uh, you can be an authority on something without being a complete and total expert on it. And by virtue of the fact that you're listening to this podcast, I can guarantee you you are either in the top three percent of software knowledge in the world, or you're Ben's mother. Those are the <laughs> only people who are listening to this podcast. Or you're the top three percent of software knowledge worldwide i mean if you if you count literally every human being in the world because most people don't know anything at all right yeah that's the thing is is that you you, you probably feel like as a junior that you like i said i think in the previous episode that you're i'm never going to get ahead i'm there's so many people that know more than me but think about your place in the world compared to everyone everyone literally on the planet um and and the amount of people who know about computers and know about programming compared to those that don't are it's just a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of people who are knowledgeable about these things compared to the general population. So, believe it or not, even now, even if even if you've all you've done is a single tutorial on a site, or you've gone through a boot camp, or you you feel like you have very relatively little training, you are more knowledgeable about these things than the vast majority of of, of people the world will ever be. And and you even even as a junior, you may have a unique perspective on something um, that other people haven't considered. So you write up a, a two paragraph tutorial on your blog about some silly little JavaScript thing or a Swift thing or something, 
and you maybe you tweet about it, you whatever, um, and someone else who is perhaps just behind you in in that process reads that uh, that blog post and they become more clear on that particular topic because it was presented in a way that they hadn't seen before. So suddenly you have become a mentor and an authority for someone else without hardly any effort on your part. Um, and like Brian said, you become more known and and therefore when opportunities do come around, people will think of your name versus not thinking of your name. Yeah, it. a lot of times I think the, the adage that it's not what you know, it's who you know makes people think that hiring for an industry is some kind of old boys network of, of you know, guys in their 70s and they're all smoking cigars and there's like an elk head on the wall and, and there's leather chairs everywhere and leather yeah. chairs are a given bourbon probably but really what it means is that if you're going to be working at a company the other people in the company are going to want to know that they can get along with you and so they need someone to vouch for you that yeah this is an agreeable person you'll you'll get along with it with them fine and the way to get that to happen is to interact with other people Right. And there's a million now because of the, the existence of the Internet, there's a million ways to do that. Um, and a whole bunch of them are free. So Facebook, yeah. Twitter, all kinds of social media, there's Stack Overflow. You could be answering questions on Stack Overflow. I know that seems you've probably received a whole bunch of help from Stack Overflow and you mm -hmm. might feel like, oh, I'm in no way qualified to answer questions. But you'd Go be surprised look. by the kinds of questions that get asked on there and the things that you might already know quickly how to do. Yep. Um, you could throw up some answers and then you're building your reputation there. Um, you know, Stack Overflow in particular, if you're using that as a resource, um, and maybe you're even using that as a job resource, if you have reputation from answering questions, they actually put that in your profile when it comes yeah. time to applying for jobs through their system. So it actually gives you some some sort of social credit um, when you are applying to a job that employer can see, oh, look, this person has a whole bunch of rep on uh, Stack Overflow. That's a good thing. They're They're willing to contribute their time and effort to other people and answer questions. They're an authority. There's just so many different ways that you could um, showcase your skill to other people and make sure that it's clear that you know what you're talking about and then you do good work. Um, and so like to sort of to wrap it up, uh, you know, you're on a bad dev team and you want to change that situation. There are things you can do internally to try and improve it. But if like Brian said, if it comes down to you deciding this is just not a, a problem that can be resolved by me. Um, you know, the way that it's made that's made up or whatever. It's just it's just a, a scenario that cannot be resolved. I need to fix it by simply finding a new opportunity. Um, what you want to have already been doing before you get to that point is you want to be trying to make yourself known as an authority in the community so that um, if and when you come to that conclusion at a, at a job, you have the opportunity to, uh, you know, to reach out to that community and try to um, you know, find something else that might be better. Right. Everything about this industry is designing things with your mind and turning your thoughts into reality. And one of the ways that you can turn your thoughts into reality is to think about your career and what you want it to be and make it so. All right. Until next time, uh, in case we haven't made it clear yet, we are on a two-week uh, release schedule. So um, every two weeks, we'll be releasing a new episode. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.